Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the A Mother Brand podcast. Do you ever suffer from mum guilt or from comparing yourself to other mothers and feeling like you should be doing something differently? Do you worry that your work is negatively affecting your children or that not working is negatively affecting them? In today's interview, I'm talking to the brilliant Dr. Mary Han, an experienced psychologist and parenting expert, as well as a mother of two. For over 15 years, Dr. Mary Han has been supporting children, teens and young adults struggling with low confidence and anxiety, as well as advising their parents, teachers and caregivers. Dr. Mary Han's podcast is in the top five for parenting in the UK. She's on a massive mission to make as much of a difference to as many children's lives as she can. In our chat, Dr. Mary Han shares her experience of building a business around her family, why mum guilt is utter nonsense, and how we can build our business around our kids without screwing them up. I hope you enjoy my chat with Dr. Mary Han. This is the A Mother Brand podcast, and I'm your host, Noni White. I'm a former TV producer-director turned mother and entrepreneur, passionate about showing more mothers that you don't have to settle, that there is a way to be the mother that you want to be and do work that you truly love that works for you. On this show, I'll share simple strategies for building a life you love based on business development and personal development through the lens of the science of well-being, positive psychology. I'll also be sharing interviews with inspiring female founders and my own insights and experiences from the front line of juggling motherhood and business. Now let's get going with today's episode. Hello, Mary Han. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be talking to you. It's so nice to see you and talk to you. So Mary Han, you are a psychologist and a parenting expert. Could you tell me what does your what does your work look like? What do you do? So my work is sort of divided into two kind of areas. There's the sort of the clinical side where I'm working with children and teens and families who are anxious, who worry. And that could be anything from those with eating disorders to those who might struggle with taking exams or going into school. Um, And then there's the other part of my business, which is much more to do with education. So it's helping parents understand about children and their emotions to avoid those particular scenarios and that's with parents and also with schools so that's also a bit of kind of preventative work in a way yeah massively I mean the the data at the moment is really is shocking in terms of one in six children has a probable diagnosable mental health issue so for me as an individual there's only so much I can do as a person with that with those numbers I think I could be more impactful in the education to prevent the issues happening in the first place that's enormous one in one in six aged from four upwards. And so, I mean, when you say a mental health issue, what what does that cover? The data covers not just a child who might worry a little bit, but a child who, if you were able to see them and diagnose them, would actually be given a diagnosis of anxiety, depression, eating disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, anything. I'm really shocked. (laughs) Um, is, is it the world we live in? Is it the way we parent? I'm going a bit off topic here. Um, but what, you know, what is in broad brushstrokes, what's the cause of all of this? I think it's busy lives. We grow, our children are growing up in a very different age, in, a, in an age of notifications, in, a, in an age of constant go, go, go. And 
it's really difficult for them to switch off. You know, when we grew up and so, so, you know, me being even that bit older, when I grew up, you were sort of, you lived in a slight bubble from the real world. And that's not, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the, the optimal way, but our children now don't, they aren't allowed to be children for long enough. They're mm-hmm. exposed to so much information from a very young age that they don't all, they aren't always able to process that. So I think it is just the busyness of our lives but I also think just the the era in which the it's digital stuff, it's information, the news, our children hear and see stuff in the news, possibly at time at, at ages and stages that they're not quite ready to process. Sounds very noisy when you describe it. You know, all of this busyness and things going on, and just stimulation really from all sides. Exactly, and I, I think our children just aren't able to just be in the same way potentially as we were being able to remove ourselves from school, being able to play, less homework, less pressure, less testing. It's all of those things. So some of that does fall under the parenting domain. You know, we do have choices about about that. Some of that is largely out of our control unless we homeschool and the like. But some of that we do have some control over. Yeah, definitely. And I think where, where we can create space for our children to be and get bored, I think that often as parents we feel that we need to constantly have something for our children to do but actually I think the greatest thing that we can do is help our children just be and get and get bored and use their imagination and make dens by taking bits off the sofa and grabbing your lit bed linen and and just making a right royal mess and adventure but that's that's their ability to just be so do less in a way that's so interesting so your career, you have children yourself, but they're a little bit older now. How, how old are your children? So my children are now, my eldest is 21 and my youngest is 18. Young grown-ups. Young adults, I know. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's like, how did I end up becoming a parent of two adults? So you've built your business around your children. How has that been and how has that evolved over the years? Well, um, if I kind of take you right back, so I left, I went to a selective grammar school and um, I left at 18 having monumentally and quite spectacularly failed each and every one of my A-levels. So I left school and then ended up going to work and um, I worked until I was probably in my late 20s and did really well. But I decided that in sort of my late 20s that I wanted, I was really interested in the psychology of motivation and building teams. By that stage, I was a manager sales manager driving around across the UK. So I I went to university as a mature student in my late 20s and had my son in my final year of my degree, then went and did a master's and then a PhD and had my daughter in the second year of my PhD. So my children have been literally from the word go. But when I finished the PhD, I I was just thinking, well, what do I do now? And what I knew more than anything, I didn't know precisely what I was going to do, but what I knew more than anything was that I wanted to be present as mum. I didn't Mm -hmm. want the job that I had before meant that I was away from home like four nights of the week. I was forever in a hotel and I absolutely did not want to do that while raising the children. So I just, I played around. I tried different things, but all around being able to be present. I wanted to do the school run. I wanted to bake cakes when it came to um, the school fairs and and all of those things. I wanted to be on the PTA. So that's what I did. I literally said, right, 
I am only going to choose something that works around the children. And it took a while to evolve. I, did, I tried lots of different things, you know, play groups with children at my house and, and other things. But then and then it sort of evolved. And, and so that's how it ended up being all around working around the children. So it just you you where, where you are today is the kind of end point of having tried out all these different things that worked around them. Yeah, exactly. And it was just it was trying different things. And, and at times I didn't necessarily get the balance right. And it was a bit of a trying it out. But my overarching memories and certainly my two when we talk about things was that they just always remember me being there. I, I always picked up from school pretty much. And I always, you know, if there was a performance, I was always able to go to the nativity plays, their carol services, whatever it was. And, and I just accepted that that meant that the process of getting to where I was going to get to would be a natural evolving. And it changed with the ages and stages of the children when they're in some ways, when they're little, tiny, tiny, which is where they were at when I was studying. I knew I had distinct periods of time in it. Like, you know, my son was going to go for it. I knew he was going to have a nap for about an hour. So it was like, right, I've got an hour. I need to do something. Right. And that I knew I had that finite amount of time. And then when he woke up, we played. Yeah, I, f- I find that that's the thing. It's about accepting where you are now and the choices you've made. And it might mean that you what you want to do is going to take a bit longer because your priorities are doing pick up and drop off and being there for the nativity or whatever it might be. But as you say, it does seem to change all the time as the children get get older. Well, they do. And then you realise I, I genuinely I, there was a really clear moment where I was in the garden with the children and it was really obvious for the first time that they didn't need me while they were playing. It was that door, you know, you get those moments where you just think, oh my gosh, yeah. they clearly need me in lots of other ways, but they don't need me to be the instigator of the way that they play. And so it's just, ex- I know it's hard because as women, we're terrible at comparing ourselves and that whole benchmarking of where they seem to have got it sorted. Why can't I? And feeling constantly guilty. But I think part of it is, it's just that genuine acceptance that you are where you're meant to be at that, at that time, you've made a choice to build a business around being a mother and that, that, and valuing that that is really important for you. doesn't mean that it's, you know, we all place our, have our own priorities. It's acceptance and that's such a key part, but I think, you know, as you as you know, I'm I'm a massive massive advocate of this whole idea about our, our own self care. And I think yeah. part of the problem is that when we don't take care of ourselves, that comparison it, it just gets so intense. We don't give ourselves a chance to kind of step back from it. Well, yeah, I mean, as 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 you know, Mother Brand's all about putting your well being first because. And as a psychologist, you know, your any negative thoughts you might have about, oh, I'm not doing this enough, I'm not doing that, and are the children doing this? And it's all going to be amplified if you haven't rested and if you haven't taken time to take care for your to look after yourself first and foremost. So how how does that manifest itself in in your life or has it over the years in terms of taking that time for yourself and your well-being? For me, I mean, I will say that I was not great at self-care at the beginning. I was very much raised, you know, my mother it was all about self-sacrifice. My children come first and all I won't do pursue this because of my children. So I definitely was brought up with this idea that actually you're not doing motherhood properly unless you're sacrificing every ounce of your essence in, yeah. in terms of 
but there was a massive shift in that you know I realized that whilst not taking care of myself I wasn't able to fully take care of my children and the important part about the self-care there's two bits to it there's the fact that we as we end up in autopilot we do the same thing rinse repeat every single day because we don't take a chance to take a step back by taking care of ourselves. But the second part of self-care is that we model to our children what it means for them to have boundaries and to be super clear about that they as an individual are important. And that's what they need to model around friendships. It's like, I'm an important individual without being arrogant with it. And so my feelings, my desires, my needs need to also be met as part of our friendship. And they get that when they see us taking care of ourselves. And there's a prominent psychiatrist who wrote The Scaffolding Effect, which is a phenomenal book. But he has a whole dedicated bit that he calls self-care is childcare. As parents, if we do not take care of ourselves first, we cannot be effective as parents. So for me, my self-care is, is first thing in the morning. I'm an early riser. That is my nature. So I'm not going to fight it. So I wake up early, obscenely early, but that (laughs) works for you. Yeah, it works for me. And I have two hours of just bliss. I do some meditating. I write a journal. I drink a cup of tea. I read the chapter of a book that fills me, energizes me. And then I have a lovely long walk. And that means that I'm the best that I can be each and every day. And so that's what works for me. Different people might get their self-care at different times. But I find personally, if you don't prioritize it at the beginning of the day, it's the one thing that gets lost on our to-do list. Yes. And there's that feeling as a busy mum, when you do feel that you need to put everyone in front of yourself, and then you also have the business. So you put that in front of yourself, you end up feeling slightly resentful if you don't take that time for you. And But if you do fill your cup and you go, I've done this thing and I feel really happy and I've done a little bit of yoga and I've done, a, and I've written, you know, and then you start the day, you're feeling good because you're, you know, you've looked after yourself before you look after other people as well. Definitely. And I think we have to remember that we, as, as do our children, but as mothers, we have multiple roles. Mother is one, friend is another, daughter is another, partner is another, business owner, we have multiple roles and yet we prioritize 99% of our time around one role and that's mm-hmm. mother. And you just can't do that. And I, I, I think, and I say this obviously as a 52 year old who's watched her friends who have done exactly that, staring in the, in the mirror, they don't know who they are because they've not dedicated or committed anything to themselves and their self-care. They've been molded into that whole role of being mother and they don't have something that is theirs because our children leave home that's the job. That's our role yeah. is to raise them so they can become these independent people. But if our whole lives have been around self-sacrifice for them, there's nothing, you know, who are we? We lose that identity of who Nonny was before she was a mother, who Mary Han was before she was a mother. And it can be really difficult then starting afresh, which is why I just think it's so important what you do, Nonny, just around this building a brand, bringing, you know, building a lifestyle building a world that we want to live in that balances our passions and desires with those of being a a mother. And it's not that they're, that it's one or the other. We can have everything, but we have to accept that the the emphasis and the time on those things shifts. We can't be brilliant at everything at the same time. Yes. And then, I mean, there, there is also that sort of feeling that 
we want to do all the things and we can't do them all at the same time. And sometimes it feels like they're in conflict. And that's where the kind of mum guilt comes in, where you're like, well, no, I really have to do this piece of work because it's really important to me. But yet I feel bad because my child wants me to do something or maybe I should be doing swimming at school or whatever it might be. What what would your advice be to mums who are feeling conflicted around doing the thing that they want to do for them, but therefore taking away from being a mother in that moment? I just think we need to scrap. Mum guilt is just such, so debilitating. I mean, I remember having this conversation with a girlfriend. I was, I was quite sort of forceful in my opinion. She made some comment about the fact that I'd done a lot with my entrepreneurial journey and hadn't always necessarily been there for the children. I, was, I just thought, oh my goodness me, you're a woman telling that, saying that to me. I would say that mum guilt is really bad. And I have to say that as women, we're not great at supporting other women because there can be an element of that judgment. So I think we have to be strong within ourselves. Ultimately, if you are fortunate enough to be in a relationship where you have a partner, they are also a parent. Mm -hmm. Why is it down to you? So you've got to remove that guilt. Your partner taking care of your child, your parents taking after your child, you know, your auntie, uncles, friends, it takes a village to raise a child. We have got to stop this guilt that because we're not doing it, that in some ways we're failing our child. Our children need to be around lots of people. They need to have that experience of being with their father or also being with their grandparents. We're helping our children. That's a great thing for them. And we should remove that guilt that because we're not doing it, that we're failing. It takes a whole load of people to to raise children. We've got to get out of this narrative that it needs to be us. And when it's not us, that we're feeling guilty. That's the one thing. And I think we then need to be more, have more conviction when we speak to our children, because what happens is we feel guilty. So we're excessively apologetic to our children. I'm so sorry, mummy's got to do this. And I know that you would rather I did this with you. No, mummy's got to do some work. She's going to be an hour. I'm going to be an hour. I'm going to be half a day. I'm going to be a whole day. You're going to have a great time with daddy, granny and granddad, grandpa, whoever that might be. And then we get to do some stuff afterwards. Don't feel guilty. You're modeling for your children what it means to set boundaries, what it means to pursue something that you're passionate about. And lots of research suggests that mothers who aspire, whether that's through business or whether that's through their own careers, then create that culture for their children and give their children the best possible chances with their own careers later. I think that's the really powerful thing, because if you think, oh, well, I just might be letting myself down and that's OK. You know, you can imagine that there's a way that you could keep on letting yourself down and feel a bit rubbish about it. But just put the telly on and forget about it. But if you think, oh, my goodness, what I'm doing has an enormous impact on what my daughter or my son thinks is normal and is appropriate and what they aim for, then suddenly it's a bit more of a rocket. And you're like, OK, now this this really has to happen, um, because the idea of saying to you, I mean, I know as, as as a girl, I was brought up to think I could do whatever I wanted to be. And I went to you know, one of the best universities and I started my career and I thought I could do anything. And then when I realized I wanted to have children and realized it was completely incompatible with the path I'd chosen, I was like, well, I've been sold a lie. This is nonsense. I can't do anything. I'm going to have to stop because I also want to be around my kids. And, um, you know, it's very important that we share that message with the future generation that we don't, that, that I, the same thing doesn't happen to my daughter, for example. My son doesn't think it's normal that a mother is just a martyr who just does everything for their children and, and then is a bit lost at the end, as you say. Yeah, 
Exactly. And I think we're showing them that there are opportunities. I mean, certainly when I was growing up, being an entrepreneur wasn't considered an option. It wasn't something that we that was talked about. But actually by pursuing our businesses, we're showing our children that there may be a specific career. Maybe they do want something that is like a doctor that where it's much more of an employed position. Yeah. But actually that if there isn't something that you're specifically passionate about within the employed status, you can create a business of your own pursuing your passions. Just see what I've done as your mother. You know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And the opportunities are there. Yeah. I love the idea of taking control of your own life. I like kind of imagining teaching the children that, you know, let's do what we love and let's make a difference and let's be passionate. And if it, if it doesn't work, let's make it work in our own way. But now you have a very, very successful podcast called How Not to Screw Up Your Kids. Is that is that right? It is. Have I said it right? Yeah. So are we at risk of screwing up our kids by building a business around them? Is there any risk? Because I was mentioning to you earlier that my children sometimes pain me by if I'm on my laptop, say I'm just ordering the shopping, they'll be like, oh, mommy's working. I'm like, no, mommy's not working. She's just at a computer. That's how I buy things or organize things for you usually. And sometimes I'm like, oh, no, is that bad? You know, and I remember my daughter made a, a beautiful mini laptop and she sat there at a very young age and she went, I'm working. <laughs> and I was, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so are we screwing up our kids? And, and how do we not screw up our kids by building a business around them? I mean, obviously, we do it because we want to be there for them. That's the main drive. So it would be quite bad if, you know, the flip side was we somehow screwed them up in the process. We absolutely don't. And Nonny, I just love that. When I was younger, I used to love playing post offices and banks. So when my mum used to take us to um, a bank or anywhere, I'd I'd steal some of the little slips and I'd go home and that's stamping and all of those sorts of things. But that, but you just highlighted how we don't screw our kids up by running our own businesses, because instead of aspiring to become a bank clerk or someone who works in a post office, your daughter has taken on board. This is the whole thing, what we model, what our children are much more likely to do what they see than what we say. So where we screw up our kids is where we're inconsistent, where we tell them one thing and we do something else. So by building a business and she's watching you do that and she's seeing how much joy that gives you so that she's modeling running her own business rather than trying to play post office so we absolutely we don't running our own businesses and trying to build our own businesses does not screw up our kids I think where I genuinely think we screw up our kids is where we get stuck in autopilot we do what we think we should do rather than what we feel is authentic and congruent to who we are as an individual I think when we are true to ourselves we can be we can have honest conversations with our children about, you know, I'm doing this because I'm really passionate about helping other mothers. I'm really passionate about building a business so that I can be here and work around you. And with that conviction, that can only be a good thing for our children. Where the issues are is when we're doing things that don't feel consistent, but we're doing it because we think it's the right thing to do, or we haven't given ourselves enough time to take care of ourselves to notice that we're in a bit of a spiral of, of something that just doesn't work for us. So no, creating businesses, developing businesses, do absolutely do not screw up our kids. So what would your top tips be for um, how to maintain great mental health of our children whilst building a business in terms of what's within our power? I think definitely genuinely developing a, a routine of self-care. It mm-hmm. has it genuine, it has to be at the top of your list before anything else. It's creating that that ability because when we take time it's this idea we often talk about this idea about working in our businesses or on our businesses it's exactly the same about families 
We're so busy working in our families that we don't take time to take a step back and work on our families. So by that, that self-care is the same way of allowing you to take a step back to take care of you. And by doing that, you then objectively look at what's working in my family, what's not working, so that you can then make those changes. When we're busy working in our families and racing around and not taking care of ourselves, we get caught in that, you know, those sort of typical behaviours that don't always serve everybody. So definitely our own self-care. Ditch the mum guilt. Ditch it completely and find a group of like-minded people, which is why a mother brand is just so phenomenal because surround yourself with other mothers who are going through the same challenges. And that's not to say that you need to ditch other friends, but when you're running a business and you're trying to balance that with being a mum, it can be really tricky. And friends who don't aren't doing the same or on a very different journey can only be supportive up to a certain point. They don't understand some of the challenges, because the mum guilt around running a business is a different mum guilt to the mum guilt you might feel about maybe your child not having the latest trainers or maybe not doing as well academically. It's, a, it's guilt, but it's a slightly different guilt. So you need to be surrounded by people who understand that as well, who are your tribe, who are your people who get the same challenges as you. So those would be my top three. Excellent. Thank you. And I was going to ask you about mindset, but I think you've probably answered in terms of how do you look after your mindset? Because when you are building a business and busy doing your clinical work and looking after really serious issues that you deal with, how do you keep a positive mindset to keep keep going and keep building and keep trying to help more people? I think for me, it's the, the self-care bit is a really important piece. And, and obviously it's the daily self-care, but I will regularly and I do it in advance because I've learned when we say the... When things have got to this stage, I will then take some time out and I'll do this. Rubbish. Book it in because you're not going to get there if you haven't booked it in. So I do regularly book in a day at a spa. I will regularly book in a lunch with a girlfriend or to go out for dinner with a group of friends. So those things I've learned because they help me stay grounded. Mm -hmm. From a mindset perspective, I love, just love reading. So I part of my morning routine is reading a chapter each day. So I will read, and it's not always parenting stuff or psychology stuff, but I just love the whole self-care mindset development work. So by reading a chapter, it, it just, you refresh yourself with something new around mindset that keeps you focused, that kind of, that makes you think, oh, actually, God, that's, I understand that. And I've been doing that, right? So I can shift it with this. So that's how I do mine. It's the self-care practice, but also blocking stuff out but it's also the reading around mindset regularly. I love the blocking stuff out. That's something I talk about a lot. And even just your week ahead role, when are you going to connect with people? Even if it's just a phone call on Wednesday evening, it's so important to put that in, kind of ring fence it or your exercise or whenever it is. Because as you say, otherwise, it just goes to the bottom of the list and it never happens. Um, do you have a book or any particular tool or anything that you have been using in your business that you think would be a lovely thing to recommend to other mothers building businesses around their family there isn't necessarily a specific book I think it's more a case of tools that you should kind of have so uh, you know journals some sort of you know a journal that allows you to reflect I'm such a big believer in being able to take the stuff that's out of your head that reflective bit and get it on a piece of paper so some form of journal I've I had I've got a particular shine challenge around mornings you know five simple practices um, that I created a journal around 
for mothers to use, but it doesn't have to be that. Just anything that allows you just to reconnect. There's so much creativity inside us if we just give ourselves the time to pause and breathe and reflect and write. And I think that, to me, I think is the most important bit. It's just giving ourselves space for anything, really, isn't it? Exactly. Space to think and be and expand and be creative. Yeah, so and I- it's different for different people um, in terms of what they need for that. Mine is also my walk. All my creativity comes on when I'm, I'm on a walk, but it's working out what works for you. And Marianne, I can write a nice little uh, link in the show notes to your Shine journal, because that would be really good to share with everybody. Thank you. Now, um, I can't leave this chat without very quickly asking you about your recent decision that has made it into the press about leaving social media. Could you tell us a tiny little bit about why you've taken yourself off social media and what that, how that's working for you? Because obviously, I think it's something that lots of us would like to do. <laughs> oh, no, it's it's just oh, it's been it's been quite interesting. So, just to put some context, I've always felt a slight jarring in terms of being on social media with the work that I do. So, just to give some context, if I I might be working with someone with an eating disorder, who part of you know part of our discussions is as they scroll through social media, is their constant comparison of themselves to other people. It isn't just social media that it happens. Obviously, it happens in real life as well. But I'd felt a, a jarring for quite a while, a discomfort. And then when the whistleblowing came out from Facebook's internal research, it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. So that day I had a conversation with a couple of girlfriends and said, look, I've just I feel really uncomfortable about being so on social media. And I'm thinking of coming off completely. And they were like, oh, my God, Mary Han, why would you do that? Because you're impacting so many families by the advice that you give and it's like yeah I understand but it just doesn't you know when you get a gut visceral reaction of just this does not feel true to who I am Mm -hmm. so that was it I made the decision I came off all social platforms the only platform I'm on is LinkedIn um because obviously teenagers aren't on there so it just felt absolutely the right thing to do and in my mind I almost feel like it's going to be, and maybe I'm being overdramatic, but it's almost like, do you remember? Well, you wouldn't necessarily remember because none of us are that old, but (laughs) cigarette companies telling us that cigarettes were really healthy for us and good for us. And then we subsequently found out just how incredibly bad they are for us. I just feel that social media, whilst it has a phenomenal force for good, I just think it's, it's not helpful. And given what I do, I just couldn't do it anymore. And whilst a lot of people have thought that's going to be slightly career suicide in terms of promoting my business, what I've done is I've got a podcast. People can access free information in the same way that way. And we've just made a bigger emphasis on the newsletter that I send out. So I now send two newsletters, one about the podcast, but one with a summary of all of the resources I would have shared on on social media. So it's not you have to be more creative. It isn't. I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. But it feels so aligned. And that, for me, being authentic, being true, being honest matters to me more. And my kids are still on social media. They're not coming off. But for me, I feel a huge sense of relief to be off. The right decision for, for, the, for the work that you do and what you spend all your days talking and caring about. Exactly. And I think that's ultimately, we've all got to make that decision. But I do think it's very interesting how so many people have said how brave it is. And I don't think it is brave. I just think it's, it's what I feel is right. But so many people feel they, you know, wish they could come off. And I would, I, I would say if it's 
not feeling aligned for you, then then look at other alternatives. There are other ways that we can reach people. Yeah. Other than social media. Lots to think about. Mary Han, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real joy to speak to you. I feel like I could speak to you for hours and ask you a gazillion questions. I would love to, but I will read your newsletters and listen to your podcast instead. And I will share those links in the show notes as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Thank you. If you've enjoyed the episode, please do hit follow, leave a rating, leave a nice comment and share with anyone who you think might enjoy it. See you next time.